Well, good evening. A couple of new faces. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here at Generation. And before we get into God's Word, we have good news. Brandon and Kaylin Goodwin have had their baby. So they're doing well. Look on Facebook. Not now. After, <laughs> after I finish, you'll see some cute pictures. Not that I was looking while we were singing either. I saw this earlier, just to be clear. <laughs> well, last week, Alex kicked off our new series, Through Him and For Him, and he was sharing his heart about what he felt God was calling him to and speaking into him for us as Generation Church in his role as pastor. And if he weren't with us, he, he touched on three points. He said basically that through God and for God, we have this triune purpose. We are created to make Jesus famous. Because see, when we sing Jesus is Lord, you know what that automatically means? Nobody else is. You're not, the president's not, the celebrities aren't, Jesus is Lord. And our job as his followers is to make him famous, right? Secondly, we are created to glorify Jesus, which means we actually do things on his account so that when people see his light shining in us, when they see our good deeds, they give praise to their father in heaven. That's what it means to glorify him. And then thirdly, Alex said, we are created to bring pleasure to Jesus. Because ultimately, this is not about performance. This is not about obedience and trying harder. This is about a relationship. It's about making the one who we just sang is madly in love with you, pleased by being with you, by sharing life with you, by, by walking day by day, moment by moment in this sort of beautiful relationship that he made possible and that he desires above all else. I mean, if, if I could tell you there's one thing that in all my years of ministry I really have seen consistently, it's that people have trouble believing that God is madly in love with them. Oftentimes because the image of God that's in their heads is not the God that Jesus shows us. It's some sort of make-believe God who's angry and mean and ready to smite and is watching everything you do and just can't wait till you screw up so that he can finally give you what you deserve. I mean, nobody would really ever stand up and say, well, yeah, that's the God I believe in. But by the way we live our lives, that is so often the case. And so it's very important that we understand that when we are created to bring pleasure to Jesus, it's not like we have to drum something up that's not there. He's madly in love with you the way you are. And so he just wants to spend time with you. He wants to hear what's in your heart. He wants to speak what's in his heart. And he wants to bring you to that life that's truly life. And so we enter into this relationship, and we do all of these things for him. And I love the way Alex said it specifically last week. He said, our goal is to make Jesus smile. Isn't that neat? When we were growing up in our house, we had a picture similar to this. Maybe you did, too, in your home. I love the smiling Jesus. I love the fact that, that when we think about God, we think about somebody who is full of joy, somebody who just so lives life at its core level that he sees the good in everything, and he works for the good of everyone in everything. 
And so he has this smile on his face when we just come to him honestly and truthfully. And when we put aside all of the other things the world tells us we should value and invest in and spend time in, and we just live for the relationship with Jesus and let him naturally move in and through our lives, that's his response. We make Jesus smile. Well, that's what Alex shared, and so today I get the opportunity to tell you what I think God is speaking to me in my pastoral role here at Generation, and that's, as always, about spiritual growth. We're in the middle of the month of January of the new year. How many of you are keeping your goals? I hate the word resolutions, but goals, keeping goals, great, great, go for it. There's nothing wrong with goals, right? We made, how many made physical goals? Goals for your physical body, either in exercise or eating. Yeah, great. How you doing? Good, good. <laughs> Intellectual goals, maybe, maybe you want to learn a new language, maybe something else that just really interests you in study that you want to undertake. How's it going? Yeah. <laughs> Keep going, right? And so we do this. This is part of our culture. It's part of the whole thing about resolutions and joking about failing in resolutions. But let me ask you a serious question. What are your spiritual goals for 2020? Because the truth is, no matter how fine you make yourself look this year, no matter how well you eat, no matter how much exercise you do, no matter how more intelligent you become, how many more languages or subjects you master, your body and your mind are temporary. Your soul is eternal. So go ahead and work at being the best physical specimen you can be. Work at being the most intellectual you can be under God's capacity. But most importantly, what is your spiritual goal? What is the state of your soul, and how much are you investing in it? So as I was thinking and praying over the new year and my position of being able to serve this church as the spiritual growth pastor, I believe what God wants me to focus on this year is what I'm calling the power of love. Celine Dion fans? You know, I was surprised. That, that's the version I know, but when I actually looked it up online, everybody's covered this song. Remember, those of you who are my age and older, Laura Brannigan? Laura Brannigan. Good gosh, even Air Supply covered this song, right? Should I sing it for you? No. There's one line in there, though. That <laughs> there's one line that always, I think, really is the powerful line, and it has a lot to do with what I want to share with you tonight, and that's the line that says, sometimes I am frightened, but I'm ready to learn about the power of love. So are you ready tonight to learn about the power of love? Even that term, think about it for a second, the power of love. When you look at those words, in the English language, this can actually mean two things, can it? In the English language, when we say the power of something, which I believe is the genitive case if you're an English nerd, the two potential meanings in this short little phrase are that the power is the reason for love, meaning it's the engine that drives love, or it is the result of love. So we need something that enables us to love. We need power. But then when we love, there's also power on that side, right? 
And so God has arranged this beautiful way in which we are in relationship with him, and through him comes this tremendous love. God is madly in love with you. I'm so glad that song is on the list tonight. God is madly in love with you, and God is love, right? And so as you dig deeper into your relationship with him, that love cannot help but fill you. It cannot help but build up your soul. It cannot help but strengthen your spirit because it's his spirit that is actually the dynamo, the dynamis in Greek that comes into us and enables us to love. So it's through him, but it's also for him because as we love, that's when we put God on display. That's when we show people the truth of who he is. That's when the evidence and the reality of his nature is coming across in our conversations and in our actions and in our service to one another and in the way we relate. Powerful stuff, the power of love. And what I want to do for you right now is I want to read a passage that God has drawn my attention to for this year, which I don't know if you do that kind of thing ask God for a word or ask God for a specific passage. But I want to read for you, and I want you to, I want you to shut your eyes. I think this is a lot safer at 5 o'clock than it is at 1030. But I want you to shut your eyes for a minute. I just want to read this passage, and I want you to tune into the words, and I want you to hear in your mind which part is through him and which part you think is for him, okay? And then we'll go down and break it down more. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14, says, when I think of all this, Paul's just been describing this amazing thing called grace, this amazing thing that says we are saved by that grace through faith and not through our own works, not through our own abilities. And when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his power. <laughs> Technology. Sorry, I just broke the, broke the mood. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Beautiful passage, isn't it? Through him and for him, the power of love works in our lives. And so let's look a little more closely. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. Have you ever really stopped recently and pondered all that God has done for you? It's a great soul training exercise, especially when you're feeling the pressure the most. 
when you're on the road and the person is cutting you off or the traffic's so bad. And all those, all those situations that you know in your life are the ones that are triggers. To stop and pause and think about all that God has done for you. Paul says, I fall to my knees and I just pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. So what has not been created by God? What has not come through him? If he's the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, obviously nothing is not created by him. Nothing has not come through him, right? So I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength. So how far is God willing to go to make sure you're becoming the person he's created you to be? unlimited resources, glorious resources. See, he's not interested in you just making it. He's not interested in you just getting by. God wants to see you thrive because when you're his follower and you're thriving, who looks good? He does, right? It makes him smile to see you prospering. It makes him smile to see you growing. It makes him smile to see you coming to a place of deeper and deeper spiritual growth and trust in him. And he has the unlimited resources to empower you with inner strength, and here's the key, through his spirit. It comes no other way. You cannot become who God wants you to become under your own willpower. You cannot become the magnificent creation who God has brought forth and equipped and called to do great things, the scripture says, from the beginning of time just by trying harder. It has to be a spiritual work in your life. And it's not your spirit, it's his spirit, through his spirit. And how does scripture describe it? The Holy Spirit is called what? He's the spirit of love. It's the spirit of love. It's that love that God has for you pouring into your life. And the spirit of love, we're reminded because we just sang it, it's greater than the spirit who lives in the world. And that spirit that lives in the world, in case you haven't figured it out, comes in a lot of different disguises but it's the spirit of fear. Look in the scriptures and you'll see that God sets up these two, sets up this dichotomy of choice. You are either under the power of the spirit of love or you are under the power of the spirit of fear. So when we, when we try to lift ourselves up, it's usually out of either a conscious or a subconscious understanding that I'm not, I'm afraid I'm not all that. When we seek other people's approval, it's because we're not necessarily comfortable with our own being. When we're unwilling to step out and share in generosity and give ourselves away in service, it's because we have a scarcity mentality. If I give it away, who's going to take care of me? All of this is the source of the spirit of fear. And God is telling us that the spirit of love, greater is that spirit in you than the spirit is in the world. And so we have to live each day making that choice again and again that I choose love and I reject the fear. 
Because the love is the glorious, unlimited resource that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. He goes on in verse 17 and says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now, most of us, when we come to faith in Jesus in our culture, usually come through a prayer that says something just like that, right? I open my heart to let Jesus into my heart. It's not really ever expressed that way in the scripture, but that's what Paul is actually talking about here, is that when we embrace the love of God, when we trust and have faith that God really is madly in love with us, and we understand that he wants to pour that love into us and bring us to the person he wants us to be, then Christ actually comes into our hearts, right? And makes his home in your hearts, listen, as you trust in him. Not as you say a prayer so that you can go to heaven, but as you actually live out faith in allegiance to him as the Lord of your life, as the one who gets to call the shots because he loves you so madly. And he can do a much better job of leading your life through his spirit than you can. Have you figured that out yet? If you're not, I guarantee you something's coming in your path to help you figure that out. And it's done in love because God disciplines those he loves. And he wants us to no longer live in fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear, right? We sing it. I am a child of God. You're a child of God because Christ makes his home in your hearts if you trust in him. If you allow him, if your roots will grow down, he says, into God's love and keep you strong. Think about the great trees and the root systems that it takes to keep that tree upright when the winds of adversity blow. This is what the promise of this scripture, this prayer that Paul's praying. Yes, he prayed it to an Ephesian church 2,000 years ago, but he's praying it for you and I today. That he wants us to be deeply embedded into the love of God and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might rather than trying to make it in our own might. We just don't have the resources. We just don't have the ability, and we have a God who's madly in love with us, more than willing to continue to pour it out. But we have to take the step of faith. We have to say, hey, you know what? This is important. I'm going to actually invest something of my life in this. I really want to grow spiritually. And then he says, may you have the power to understand. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, may you understand. He doesn't say, I pray that you understand. He says, I pray that you have the power to understand. Because again, it's the spirit of God that unlocks all of this in our hearts and lives. I mean, let's be honest, right? My standing here tonight is not the first time probably any of you have ever heard this, right? So if it were just the ability to say a sermon or do a speech and you would understand it, that'd be great. Then we wouldn't have to do this anymore. But notice what he says. He says, I pray that you have the power to understand. The only things that will ever cause you to grow in your faith in Jesus is, are the things that the Holy Spirit makes real to you. Somebody told me very early in my walk with Jesus, they said, if somebody can talk you into something, somebody else can talk you out of it. But what the Holy Spirit makes true to you through your experiences, through your study, 
those things no one can ever take away. Because that becomes your testimony. It's not theological theory. It's the reality of who you are. It's the things that the Spirit gives you as a gift that are forever. Right? So he says, I pray you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. Listen to this. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Now that's, that's an invitation, right? Come dive in the pool and enjoy it, though you'll never be able to fully use it all up. That's an invitation to an unlimited ability to have a relationship with God at a level you and I can only dream of tonight. No matter how long you've walked with him, no matter how long you have been a person of faith, no matter how long you have said, yes, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, you and I have not even begun to scratch the surface. And no matter how wonderful your experiences have been in this relationship, no matter how awesome it's been to experience the love of God, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's what he's talking about here. This is the prayer of the great apostle. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience it, though it's too great to understand fully, and then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Let me say that again and ask you. Would you like to be complete in God's eyes? with all the fullness and the life and the power that comes from God. Yes? What's stopping us? Lots and lots of stuff is distracting us. I, I get it. The culture that we live in mitigates against these things. But if you really want it, it's right there for the taking, right there for the asking out of the heart of the one who is madly in love with you. And so you see the Holy Spirit's work. In summary here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit grounds our lives in this fertile soil of God's love. He makes it possible for us to experience more and more of God's love. And he brings us to completion, which is really just becoming like God. It's, it's developing the character of Christ in us. And so in summary, all that is possible, what? Through him. Right? That's everything that God wants to do for you in your life starting right now. That's good news. Verses 20 and 21 then go on to show us how that all becomes for him. Now, all glory to God. Okay, how much glory do you get to keep? Maybe a little bit? No. All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now, I don't know about you, but I can ask and think for some great stuff. God says, yep, that's great stuff. I got more. I want to do more than that in your life. Keep asking. Keep searching. Keep seeking. Glory to him in the church. That's odd. 
we always think it's about a personal relationship with Jesus, right? Glory in my life, yes. But Paul's talking about if, if, if God can do a lot through Alex and God can do a lot through James, what can God do through Alex and James together? That's the point of the church, right? Church isn't about finding a place, oh, I like that preacher or I like that sermon or I like that song or that band or that child's program or any of that stuff. The church is about us stepping into the exponentially great opportunity to glorify God in a way we can't do individually. That's what it's for. That's why we come together. That's why it has to be more than just a casual, oh, yeah, let's have a meal and spend an hour together and then never really interact in each other's lives anymore. The glory to God comes through the church. That's why it's so much the focus of the New Testament, not what you are doing alone, but what we are doing as God's spirit moves within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, including this generation. Forever and ever, amen. So here's your takeaway for today. God offers us his power so that we can fulfill our purpose in order to bring him pleasure. That's the one, if you get nothing else I've said, get that. God tonight is offering us his power so that we can fulfill our purpose in order to bring him pleasure. In order to experience that kind of power and produce this glory, we all need to wrestle with what I think is perhaps one of the very most important questions of all. And this is the question God laid in my spirit for me in 2020 and told me as a pastor at Generation Church that this is what I'm supposed to help you answer. So you might like words. You might, last year, I felt like God said my word was all about simplicity. Great. This year, I asked him to give me a question because what I've discovered in my walk with God is it's more important. No, that's the wrong word. It's more valuable. It's more fruitful for me to wrestle with questions, the right questions, than it is to have the right answer. And so the question is this. What does it mean that God loves me? A simple question that has dramatic implications. It has implications for your relationships with other people. It has implications for your parenting. It has implications for your job. It has implications for your finances. It has implications in every single thing you and I do. If we're willing to wrestle with that question, if we're really willing to get before God and say, what does it mean that you really love me? in this circumstance, then I believe the Holy Spirit that lives within you, that he's given to you, that drives out the fear that makes us not want to ask that question, will take us to an amazing place of growth, both in our individual lives and together as a church. That's what my heart is set on for 2020. That's what I have, have been called to do. That's what I promise and pledge myself to do, is to help you wrestle with that question. However that looks, whether it means you and I sit down over coffee and just say, what is God saying? Whether it means you, we do a, a guided study of some sort. However, I can best serve you wrestling with that question. I 
I want to be your tour guide through the love of God, the power of love. I was a tour guide once. Anybody ever been to D.C. and seen those big orange and green trolley bus things? Yep. I used to do that. I was a tour guide driving that 28-foot bus through the streets of Georgetown. Yes, sir. Then I became the operations manager, which wasn't anywhere near as fun, trying to get people to show up for work. <laughs> but actually, here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is your tour guide. I'm the tour coordinator. I'm the guy who can logistically get you to the place where the Holy Spirit can speak you, speak into your life in a new and amazing way. If you're willing to take a journey in spiritual growth, if you're willing to step in this year and really discover the answer to that question, what does it mean that God loves me? I believe God will do more than you can ask or imagine in your spiritual life. Because here's what I've learned. I've learned that it is a journey. Discovering the power of God's love is a lifelong journey. And I want to share with you what I think are the steps along the way. And I want you, as you listen to this, kind of see where you land. If I, if I were to ask you to write down, like, number one through six, where you feel you are tonight, I just want you to think that through in your head. Discovering the power of God's love. The first, the first stage usually is, I don't believe that God loves me. That's where most people start. And that can come from a number of different sources. It can come from the idea that perhaps you were raised as an atheist and you don't believe there's a God at all, in which case he obviously doesn't love you. Or you have been taught the angry God, in which case, yeah, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, but in real life, God is ticked. Or... You don't believe God loves you because you don't think you're good enough to be loved. Maybe somebody here tonight is wrestling with that. You don't have to say it out loud, but I'm just asking you to be honest, okay? You don't believe God loves you. Second step is, I want to believe God loves me, but circumstances make me doubtful. Because it usually goes along with this question. If God loves me, then why? Right? And it's natural. All of these steps are natural. Don't feel bad regardless of where you land. I'm just trying to help you see that there is a pathway. As you're willing to invest in your soul, as you're willing to take the pathway of spiritual growth, you'll move through these stages. I want to believe God loves me. But when I look at what's happening in my life, when I look at what's happening out there, when I see the pain, when I see the hurt, when I see the brokenness, how can you say God loves me? The third stage, it's a nice sentiment to believe that God loves me. And I guess it's true, but it doesn't really impact my life. I'll believe it, but I'm still going to do what I think I need to do. I'm still going to be really guarded about letting anybody else into my life. 
I'm still going to be really the one in control of all of my gifts and resources because, again, you know, who knows what's happening. God's saying, go further. Go further. It's more than a nice sentiment. It's reality. The fourth one is, I believe God loves me and it gives me hope for heaven when I die. I really do believe God loves me. And I really do believe Jesus Christ, his son, came to earth, suffered and died on a cross so that I could be forgiven my sin and on the third day was raised from the tomb and now is at the right hand of the Father in heaven, just waiting for me to die so I can go be with him. Is that where you land tonight? The bells. <laughs> the reason God came from heaven to earth is to be with us. Not then, but now. We just got through Christmas, right? O come, O come, Emmanuel, God with us. There is never a moment in your life, no matter how dark that moment is, no matter how difficult it is to believe that he's there, that he is not there. He is always present with us. God with us. God with skin on. Jesus. The next stage is, yes, I believe God loves me, and it changes how I see myself and the world around me. I can tell in my life that my thinking is going in a new direction. I find myself actually taking steps of faith that I probably wouldn't have taken a year ago, 10 years ago. God's really, God's really working me. It's really, it's kind of exciting and terrifying. But I can see it. That's great. That's great. Keep going. Because finally, here's the ultimate. Knowing God loves me becomes my identity. And it motivates everything that I do. I've shared my story with some of you. Three years ago, on February 1st, I had what I can only describe as a supernatural encounter with God's love, where I took this leap from stage five to stage six that I didn't think was possible. See, stage five is pretty good, right? L knowing that God loves me changes how I see myself and the world around me. But I was really changing it like this microscopic speed. <laughs> And the enemy, using his great power of fear, had crept into my life and had taken a stronghold in my life that I wasn't even aware of. You say, well, how does that happen? Hmm, he's crafty, right? And so my whole identity was wrapped up in being a pastor. I never sought to go into ministry. I was called into ministry. I was ordained by a, a church. I said, you are now a pastor. And so, to me, that meant I have to be serving in a pastoral role. And when that fell apart a number of years ago, I plunged to the depths. 
where I felt I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't. My whole identity was screwed up. And God met me in tears on my sofa in an apartment in Pikesville with a sweeping, I mean, I can't even put words to it, but this sweeping wave of his love. And he basically just told me the only thing that is your identity is that you are the beloved. You are my beloved. I am madly in love with you. And if God is madly in love with you, it does not matter what your job is. It does not matter how much money you make. It does not matter what your ethnicity is. It does not matter what your past has been full of. All that matters is you see yourself the way God sees you. And God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. God loves you more than you can ask or imagine, more than you could possibly know this side of heaven. And he wants you to walk this journey from wherever you are tonight. I don't believe God loves me. I want to believe, but circumstances make me doubtful. Yeah, it's a nice sentiment, but it doesn't really impact my life. Well, yeah, it gives me hope, but for after I die up in heaven. Or, yeah, it's beginning to change how I see myself and how I see others, but i still got a long way to go until we can understand that God's tattooed it on our hearts. Beloved. And the way to do that, the power to receive that love that Paul's praying about, when he says, I pray that you would have the power to understand is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And the only way you can have the Holy Spirit really be at work in your life is if you invest in your spiritual growth. If you go through the idea of training your soul to match what God says and opening your spirit so that the Holy Spirit can get rid of all that junk that's between our ears and all that pain and hurt that's lodged in our hearts. He wants to sweep that all away. And I can tell you, dear friends, that that's exactly what he did for me. And God doesn't love me more than he loves you. And I'm not more needy than you are. That's just the heart of who he is. That's what he wants for you. That's why he created you. Because he wants to smile with pleasure when he looks at your life. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit is there for the asking. Jesus says this in Luke eleven thirteen. He says, so if you sinful people, by the way, he's not criticizing you. He's talking about the fact that we're flesh. Flesh and blood can never inherit the kingdom of God, right? So if you sinful people, fleshly people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
Look at those words. Take a minute and focus on those words. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of you have spent too much on Christmas? You're generous and you love to give good gifts to your kids, right? You love to see them smile. And when they smile on Christmas morning, I bet you smile too, right? So take that picture and hold that picture for a moment and read the words again. If you, in all of your limited understanding, and can I say it, sometimes ulterior motives for doing good and being generous, still know how to give good gifts, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So here's what I want you to do as we finish, right before we sing our final song. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this offering. If you're here tonight and you're saying, yes, I want to know the love of God in a deeper, richer, more life-transforming way. And I believe what that verse says that's what God wants for me. And I believe that that's what I need, more of the Holy Spirit to get there. I'm going to ask you to stand, and I want to say a pastoral prayer over you. And I want you just to be in a position of receiving. Cup your hands, if you will, like you're going to receive what God's about to pour in. Oh, precious Father, thank you for your wonderful promises. Thank you for your love that is boundless. Thank you for the fact that when you created me, you created me for so much more than I'm experiencing right now. No matter how good my life is, no matter how many wonderful, wonderful things and interactions I can already claim in our relationship. You want us to experience more. I pray that those, Lord, who have recognized that gift and cry out for more tonight as symbolized with their receptive hands, that you would give the Holy Spirit to these that ask you tonight in a fresh and a powerful way. I pray that even in this room, before we leave, they sense something new, something deeper, something richer is occurring. I pray, God, that all the struggles that they have with things like identity and things like expectations that other people put on them or that they put on themselves, all of those things that get wrapped up in the spirit of fear, whether consciously or subconsciously, I pray that your Holy Spirit would drive them out tonight. I pray that no one leaves this room before they come to grasp that they are your beloved. And I pray, God, that they are inspired by what you do in their lives to go on this journey to know how wide and how high and how deep and how long is the love of God in Christ Jesus.
And I pray that they would never stop that journey, that they would never be turned back. I pray that they would see great fruit along the way. And as they receive it, as they move into that love, I pray, God, that you would anoint every word from their mouths, every action from their hands, every attitude in their minds to let that love flow through because it's not about keeping it for ourselves. It's about giving it away. So, Lord, as you do through them, I pray that they would do for you, that we all would. And I pray it, Lord, in confidence tonight, knowing this is who you've made us to be, knowing this is what you want for us, and knowing that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I ask again, pour out your spirit tonight on all who ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if the rest of you will stand, we'll finish with our appropriate closing song, I Surrender. <laughs>